You know, there's something weird about uh, this this episode. The the way that I've approached it, I think I'm experiencing something called happiness and optimism, because uh, this is uh, what I've been brought, and I didn't get disappointed with the Phillies' production on the West Coast, and they did what they were supposed to do, and they beat good teams, and they almost made it to 500, and then they blew it at the end, and we'll talk about that. But it is a, uh, a turning point on the season, and it is a great time to be a Phillies fan. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. This is episode number eight of the second season of It's Always Sunny in South Philadelphia. I am your host, as always, Riley Rich, and today we get to cover the West Coast West Coast trip. I was so tempted to say West Coast swing again, but I did that the whole time last episode, and it got boring quick. The Phillies immediately after imploding against the Mets had to uh, take a, I don't know maybe a quick six-hour flight across the country to go from Philly to Seattle, and then they moved down the coast and went to La La Land. So, they got to Seattle, and let's just say just things happened as soon as they hit the West Coast. I don't know if it was the sun. I don't know if it was knowing what the Pacific Ocean looks like, but the offense woke up, and that's something that we can say. And it's not just the offense. It is also Ranger Suarez, who has awoken from his den to pitch consistently good baseball. And Ranger Suarez started on Monday. He did amazing. He got, I think, seven scoreless innings. Gene, Segura Gene, and Reese Hoskins each went deep. Those two, along with JT Romuto, had two out RBIs. We talked about this before. If the Phillies can get two out RBIs, then things will happen. And they did. That's, again, another thing we talked about, two out RBIs, and we talked about runners in scoring position on this podcast. That's the two things that we focus on to tell us whether the Phillies win or lose. We had two out RBIs, and we went 6-for-11 with the runners in scoring position. That is over 500. That is a win. Also, we called it Francisco Morales because uh, we had a doubleheader at uh, some point on Saturday, and we gave him the call up. And uh, he excelled. He actually gave. He actually got us two really strong innings out on the mound, and that was really nice to see. We uh, Francisco Morales uh, is basically the Joe Ortiz, but pitching. Uh, those two are uh, are two somewhat big international prospects way back before Dombrowski in the Klintak era, uh, when the Phillies were bad, and we signed people. Back in like 2015, 2016, I believe Ortiz was 15, and I believe that Francisco Morales was 2016. So, we've been taking our time with their development. Morales pitching double A to start the year. He's been doing really well. And he got the call, got us two solid innings on Monday, and route to a Phillies win. So, Sam the offense woke up on Monday, and the one thing. That we have that I've learned as a Phillies fan, and that we have learned throughout seeing this team is the one thing that this team lacks is consistency. 
in any, it's not just baseball, in any business, in anything around, anything when it comes to problem solving, efficiency and consistency are the two major things that, that every single organization should worry about. Like for me, I'm, I am, I'm young, I am going to school. The two things I worry about is being efficient with my work and being consistently good with my work. And yes, those are real. Uh, but the Phillies, uh, they're efficient when they want to be. And they are nowhere near consistent. Because after they scored, after they did well on offense on Monday, they completely shut down and couldn't get runners on. Yay. Uh, but really, for me, again, they struggled without getting Rajon. 13 strikeouts for the team. Double-digit strikeouts, automatic loss. And that's, that's how it is. It's, uh, it's the pros and cons. The pros is that we hit home runs. The cons is that we strike out. And we are... We're a team surrounded by three true outcomes. The three true outcomes. Home, home run, home run, walk, strikeout. Whole team is three true outcomes. Except for Segura. Segura is the only one that's safe. You usually have a player or two. Like your three hitter, your cleanup hitter, and that's perfectly fine. I'm not saying don't totally get rid of that. It's just that the idea of the three true outcomes is going from, is literally a player going from either 0 to 60. 0 or 60. There is no consistency to be found, and it's not a strong way to build a team. Well, who knows? I am the pessimist here. Even though I said I was optimistic like literally six minutes ago, I am still, this team's still not at 500, all right? I still have a reason to be angry. Another thing that concerned me is that Nola kind of struggled a bit, which is uh, which is normal. It's it's hard to say, but Nola gave up another five, six runs, and it's normal. It happens. The problem for me is that he didn't give up a home run, and now you're saying to me, Riley, he didn't give up a home run. He's keeping the ball in play. What's the problem with that? The problem is that we knew he gave up home runs. We knew he was struggling that way. We knew that that was a thing that we had to control. That's our mindset. Now, he did, and he's still failing. And we really counted on Nola to do something. And I don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Kyle Gibson has been super consistent this year. Zach Eflin, when he's healthy, I mean, he's out with COVID right now, but when he's healthy, he can get us a strong performance or two. Ranger Suarez is out here being consistent now. This is something I'm not used to. We needed Nola this year. Also, we expected Wheeler to be like Cy Young form or somewhere close, and he hasn't really been yet, which it isn't his fault. He's lost velocity. He's dealt, he's dealt with COVID. He's got time. Nola's been here the whole time. And he has found a way to struggle. And I'm really sorry to say this. I really am. But I think we seriously need to consider thinking of other options for our number two pitcher. I really think that I don't know if Nola's the guy. Like I saw... 
like when you look at Aaron Nola's pitching, what I saw in spring training that he was struggling. I'm gonna make this analogy again. My hand right here is home plate. This my middle finger here is the top part of the zone. Let's say that this is the this is the righty batter and Nola's a righty pitcher. The ball is here. It goes over the outside part and comes back in. And as a righty, you're able to take that ball. You're able to get, get the bat under the ball. Launch is going to carry it the rest of the way. These guys are big league hitters. And that was a problem. And even without the home run, even when he limits the home run, that doesn't automatically mean success. We've had Gibson doing really well. We had Ranger Suarez doing really well. And Eflin's okay. Nola's really a cause for concern. Now, I don't know if we really want to hit the panic button yet. But I think we're going to get to it later. Nola might be a key trade asset, and we'll get, we'll get to it later. And we'll talk about a potential trade with one team who is historically imploding, and that I commend. We'll get to that later. But for now... We need to go back to offense, because apparently we were on the highway, and we're at 60 miles an hour, and we were cruising, and there's nobody on the road, and then somehow there's a red light that somehow was on the highway, which, if there is, that is a huge traffic, huge safety concern, and I would be terrified. Thank God I'm not driving yet. But anyway, um, that's my analogy that I'm going to use. So now we have the green light, and we're going 60 again, because apparently, well, not really. We're deceivingly going 30 because we just hit zero. That's what I'll say. We have ramped up our speed and people see it as a good and people see it as an interesting thing. So the Phillies won. The Phillies won 4-2. That's what I'm and I'm supposed to note that it's a bullpen game. And I did doubt Bailey Falter for starting this game. I really wanted to see Connor Brogdon pitch at some point, but Falter did really well. I'll give it to him. Uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez, Jose Alvarado, Yuris Familia, Corey Knable, they all had three hits combined and gave up one run. And the bullpen did amazing. Again, bullpen. They're good when they want to be. They're efficient when they want to be. They have no consistency. Don't you love that? The offense kind of shut down, except for one point when Reese Hoskins hit a grand slam. That was all of our runs. We won this game 4-2. Reese hit a grand slam, which, yes, I get it. Reese Hoskins is on a hot streak. We need to savor this guy. Let's put him at the leadoff spot for whatever. Seriously. I get it. I get it. He's hit a home run. He hit a home run on Monday. He hit a home run on Wednesday. He might be doing better. Do not, for the love of... And I also understand that we don't have a leadoff hitter right now. We trusted Schwarber to be in that position, and he's gone over for 5, and we, and we threw our hands in the air. Didn't didn't ask why and just said, okay, he's bad. What are we doing with the lineup card? Reese Hoskins is not a leadoff hitter. Reese Hoskins did not excel when he was a leadoff hitter. Now you could argue that everybody didn't didn't excel when they were a leadoff hitter, but we're still figuring out. When you win! Do not mess up the lineup card. And I know I have, I have, I have my high school coaches watch this. Hopefully, hopefully they're on my side with this. 
if you're winning and have momentum, do not change the lineup card in a major way. You can adjust it if one player does really well as a 7-hitter. Maybe 6-hitter goes 0 for 2. Maybe you can make that change. The leadoff hitter, especially on the Phillies, is a huge spot that we still don't have an answer for. Well, we do. The answer is Gene Segura, but Segura doesn't want to hit leadoff, and that's fine. He's just the only contact hitter we have. We need him there. Just because you're good does not mean that you're automatically a leadoff hitter. I like my analytics. I will say to the end of the end of the day that I will live and die by my analytics and I live and die by math and that's how I'll build a team if I ever do. The only thing that I will stay true to is that in no way, shape, or form am I going to have a leadoff hitter who is dependent on the three true outcomes. Come on. Reese's 6'5", his name is literally the big fella. He's And he hits home runs and doubles sometimes. He's a three true outcomes guy. He does not have speed. I'm sorry to say it. And uh, this is a really good thing that Hoskins doesn't watch this. But he's not as fast as other people. Look, if you want to change up the lineup card and you don't want Segura to hit leadoff, Roman Quinn. You might even be able to slide Nodubo Herrera past me if you win. I'm a huge believer in Roman Quinn. I'm a huge believer in his speed and defense. That's why I gave him a Philly of the Week. Put him at leadoff, if nothing else. Reese Hoskins is not your leadoff hitter. But it doesn't matter, because we went into Los Angeles. We had a four-game series with the Dodgers, and I seriously expected this team to struggle. Yes, we had Wheeler pitching. We had him back. Again, the Phillies do this all the time. They see a good team, they're like, oh, and they rush all of their good pitchers to make sure they get out there and pitch against the the god the or the good team. It happens all the time. I'm sure other teams do it too. Wheeler was okay. Not good. Not bad. Just decent. Got the job done. So we now went from Reese Hoskins being the guy, and then he went to leadoffs, and if you paid attention to the Phillies this year, once you go to the leadoff, you're done. I mean, I, I'm sorry, but there's no other way to look at it. Just, I don't know what it is. Leadoff hitter, as soon as you're there, you just shut down. The one good thing about a three true outcomes lineup, all the way, all the way down, all the way down the lineup, all the way down the order, all the way down the list, is that when one player falls, another rises. Someone always picks up the slack. Someone is always the good teammate who gets the job done, and it came in. A typical, untypical player. You you might be looking at me and saying, who could ever fit this? I, it, it's Bryce Harper. Why is Bryce Harper untypical? Well, results came in. He, he, had, he had an examination done on his right arm because he, he hasn't been able to throw. He's been a DH the whole time. He slightly tours UCL. So he will not be able to throw for the next four weeks, which nightmare to us all, and please get us an outfield arm ASAP. Harper's like, oh, okay. Well, as long as I'm still hitting, and he literally hit home runs, MVP form. 
home runs, doubles, whole weekend. I think he had three double, three home runs and six doubles this weekend. I think this weekend alone. He was incredible. It's what we needed. We needed the MV3 again. And we got him. Then Camargo backed him up. And it's one thing just to do this in general. They did this early on in the game. And they did this the whole series long. They got to the Dodgers pitchers early and often. Which jokes on you for starting Tyler Anderson when you literally have a Cy Young filled rotation. Literally the 2013 Tigers are looking and taking notes. Good God. Bueller. Scherzer. Dustin May. Nothing against Tyler Anderson. I'd probably be pitching Tyler Anderson if he's pitching for the Phillies. You threw Tyler Anderson. You're putting a lefty who's had a bit of struggles against a home run hitting lineup. Now I get that we have some lefties, but Harper can hit lefty-lefty. He's an MVP. He's being paid $33 million. You can expect that lefty to hit against other lefties. And Camargo added on. You had Brad Hand. You had Sir Anthony Dominguez. Andrew Bellotti and Corey Canable shutting it down. Alvarado was in there too. He kind of messed things up. But it's alright because we had other people backing him up. And then we got to Friday's game. Now Friday's game is the one that went back and forth. You had the, the Justin Turner homer in the ninth, Double digits for each side. The Phillies once again blew a 7-1 lead I think that was mostly Familia that blew, that blew the save at the end. Although not here to point fingers, I think it's just a bullpen consistency thing. Um, also, Kyle Gibson. This is like one of the only starts that I'm kind of disappointing Kyle Gibson. He didn't really... He didn't eat up the seven innings that he usually does. He only went three and two-thirds. He gave up a few runs. He, I think he gave up a five-run second, which is fine. It just let it get the best of him. I... I was going to try to relate. I'm not going to do that. Again, bullpen. Aside from Familia, James Norwood, Andrew Bellotti, Brad Hand, Nick Nelson. Good God, Nick Nelson is just eating up innings for no reason now. He can literally pitch for innings. He's a long reliever in all but name. Thank you, Nick Nelson, for being that guy. And, of course, Francisco Morales. He got a save. He got a save in the 10th inning. But um, the thing that struck me, the reason why the Phillies came close, again, we talk about two R- RBIs and our runners in scoring position. Two out RBIs was the big one for me, and that was Kyle Schwarber. But more importantly, Bryson Stott, he had some doubles down to the opposite field that, that, brought, him some, that brought him three runs in two out situations. Now, granted, what I liked, I like that Bryson Stott's making contact, and that's all I'll say. No, do not put him in a leadoff spot. Not yet. Give him time. Also, don't bench him, which they did on Saturday after he had an amazing game. Don't bench him after he had a great game. Just keep him there. See if he's doing well. Then maybe you can start to promote him. Just not immediately. Don't go 0-60. to This team likes ramping it up way too quickly. You can't do that. It hasn't worked. Quite simply, hasn't worked. Saturday, this is what this is where we talk about the offense showing up, and then showed up immediately. Eight runs, 
all eight runs for them in the first four innings. Gene Segura, Bryce Harper, Reese Hoskins, Kyle Schwarber, all with home runs. Schwarber and Hoskins went back-to-back. -back. Actually, Hoskins actually hit a home run in the leadoff spot, so you can somewhat ignore the thing that I said earlier. Four home runs, first four, first four innings. Got to the Dodgers. Obviously threw Rios off his game, which is something that we needed. Ranger Suarez was dominant. As always, the thing that I liked about Ranger Suarez was he wasn't a a fa afraid to throw a sinker in fastball. Now, I, he wasn't being ridiculous. He wasn't throwing it in locations. He shouldn't have. He located on the low outside quadrant of the plate. If this is the plate, he's locating right here to this side, over here to this side. He's got a nice sinker, nice four seam. They complement each other really well. He located on the low outside corner, and that's what led to his success. Connor Brogdon actually showed up, and Sir Anthony did too. Sir Anthony had a good game, but Connor Brogdon actually showed up. They, Joe Girardi gave me a bit of hope by actually showing me what Connor Brogdon looks like. Kind of pushed him out of the cave a little bit. I know we were up by a lot, but it was still nice to see Connor Brogdon. Again, really wish he wasn't the guy that was plugging in holes. I really think that someone like, um, I really want to say Falter, maybe Francisco Morales can be that guy. I would really, I would really like to see Connor Brogdon take a bigger role of Falter, Falters. But, uh, <laughs> we get to Sunday. Noah was solid. He did better. He rebounded a little bit. Again, this game is going to be defined by Corey Knabel blowing it, which he did, and he deserves a little partial blame. But, again, you can't put all the blame on him. If your team is hitting 3 for 10 with runners in scoring position, you're not going to get anything done. Also, shout out to Garrett Stubbs, the back catcher, went 2 for 3. So he got a little bit off my back. Still kind of sad to see players get benched, but again, it's just three for ten with runners in corner position. Two RBIs can't cash in. And yes, I was as every single Phillies fan, if you read any article written by a Phillies fan or a Phillies organization, the one thing they will say is that they are angry right now, but once they get a, a night's sleep, or this would have been on Sunday, Let's get a night's sleep, then you can look at the silver lining. The silver lining here is we took two of three from a playoff contending AL West team in the Mariners that are basically as good as us, and we took three of four from arguably the best team in the National League. And you might be asking, why? Why can we beat the Mariners and the Dodgers, yet we can't beat the Texas Rangers? And the answer is simple. The Rangers just went out, or the Mariners got out, went out, and got Adam Frazier, Eugenio Suarez, and Jesse Winker. Definitely the last two focus on. The Dodgers lineup is completely full of all stars, and top from top to bottom in the order. Those two are offensively inclined teams. No offense to the Mariners, the Mariners don't really have the firepower that the Dodgers do, but they definitely have a lot of work to do in the rotation. It's not there yet. Neither is the Phillies, but potato, potato, I think the Phillies is a bit better. What this means is that we just need to work on pitching and defense. We've been saying this the whole time, but if they're, but if they're good teams, like the Dodgers, you're going to see the Padres roll in. They're rolling in next week at home. They're also another, really, another offensively inclined team, so I'm expecting a solid series out of, 
How did the Phillies against them and the Dodgers are coming back? As long as they can match the firepower and go past it, as long as they can match the firepower of the other team, I think they'll be fine. And also, I did want to talk about this. There's been a certain team that has been imploding in the major leagues, and they also just lost a game without giving up a hit. If you don't know who I'm talking about, this team is the Cincinnati Reds. They went through a fire sale early on in the year. They got rid of Castellanos. Castellanos came to us in free agency. Winker and Suarez, gone. Sonny Gray, gone. There's still a bit of pitching left. Luis Castillo is a name that lights up, that lights up for me. Explosive fastball. Really good breaking ball. Really good slider. Nice compliment. It's... A type of fire that you really see from Wheeler. Like in terms of Velo, it's a nice compliment to, to Wheeler. If we're talking about number two pitchers, I think Luis Castillo is the guy. And I talked about this. I don't know if Aaron Nola... I'm going to give him a bit of time. I also really want to see if Aaron Nola's uh, trade value can go back up. But I think if the opportunity is there, if the Reds are still... Fire selling, even not even Luis Castillo. I know Castillo is going to be a lot, but Tyler Molly too. Tyler Molly, I think, got the opening day start. He's got a really good sinker, too. Sinker. Phillies have established a, a sinker based philosophy, which, thank God, using a sinker instead of a four seam fastball, it's not four seam is not completely gone yet. We're still working on it, but seeing the amount of two seamers and sinkers used. And an uptick is really good. Tyler Molly would fit that scheme really well. And also, I would like to say, there's been a pitcher that, that caught my eye. His name is TJ Antone. And I know I've seen the Reds use Art Warren a lot in the bullpen. But TJ Antone, I really think, or Antoni, there's an E at the end, I say Antone. TJ Antone, same thing, sinker, slider, maybe a cutter. Really good reliever. You have him through 2026. If you can somehow pull off a trade where you give Aaron Nola maybe even a top prospect because Dabrowski likes to ship them away, you might have a chance to get Antone to possibly be a closer, and you can even try to extend for Luis Castillo and Tyler Molly. Just a thought. Let's see the implosions going around. Fire sale is going to happen. If the Phillies aren't going to get Castillo or Molly, someone else will. That's all I'll say. Maybe that scares Nebraska into doing something. Whew, this is going to be a very long episode. I'm sorry, guys. But we will get into the minor leagues now. Uh, decent. All around decent. Triple-A was in the middle of contending. They were one game back first place. They just happened to be playing the first place team this week. That would be the Buffalo Bisons, AAA affiliate of the Toronto Blue Jays, and they went 2-4 and four this week against Buffalo. Also, um, and now that I bring it up, uh, my condolences to everybody within the Buffalo community. Uh, there was a shooting that happened over, uh, over the weekend. Uh, from all of us here at the in, in the community, I'll speak on behalf of the community. We um, our condolences to everybody who was affected by the Buffalo shooting. More pressing for equality. 
moment of silence. Thank you to the community. We'll keep our, our thoughts and prayers to those involved. Um, but hopefully things get better there. And I think they're tracking some guys down. But AAA, they went 2-4 and four against Buffalo. Austin wins it really well. You got a uh, catching former Oriole. Uh, Bryson Stott got the call-up to the Major League, as we talked about. He did really well to our guys. And Corey Oswald got traded to the Phillies. They, they call him a veteran pitcher. Veteran minor league pitcher. Did really well for the Phillies to start off. So, I'll give him that. Delboy did way, way better. They went 5-1. and one. They played Bowie, uh, the double-A affiliate of the Orioles. Jalen Ortiz has done really well. Josh Ockeby still in that OPS conversation. We talked about Francisco Morales and his call-up. And um, I believe there's a pitcher by the name of Noah Skillor. I'm sorry if I said that incorrectly. That really caught my attention. He's been rising up the whip category that um, I really haven't talked about that much. I really wish I'd known him. Noticed him earlier. Same thing for Ethan Window. He is a pitcher uh, with Jersey Shore who went two and four at Bowling Green. I want to say Rays affiliate. They used to be at least they were the Rays affiliate before the contraction, whatever. But yes, Ethan Window again. He's been leading the whip category for a while. He's he's been very consistent. And I actually got to. Um, He's actually really caught my attention. McCarthy Tatum, same thing in the OPS category. Nathan Wilson still near the bottom, or well, not near the bottom, but he's in the top five on the team in OPS. Um, he's now a from South Alabama, from South Alabama. We got him with a second rounder because we draft high schoolers with the first round picks. Thanks, slot money. But uh, so Ethan Wilson. Uh, Ethan Wilson, Johan Rojas, we got some good outfield prospects down in the class in advance. And Ethan Wilson is hopefully on the upward trajectory. I'm not talking about Andrew Painter. He's doing amazing. He gets a, he needs to get the call up to Jersey Shore. Not my time to talk about him. But I will talk about down in Clearwater. We went 5-1 and one at home against Dayton, Reds affiliate. How you, Lee, oh my goodness, he skyrocketed to over 900 OPS. I think he was just over 700 Last week, he rose like 180 OPS points. He did amazing. Showed power. He's shown speed. He's shown the things that we need our prospects to do. Think how you Lee had an amazing week. Definitely in the consideration for Philly of the week. I will tell you if he just missed. Uh, Alexis Azwahe also as well in the OPS category. He's been a steady riser. Malik Bins. I mean, it's really hard to... Uh, Talk about anybody who been Andrew Painter, but Malik Benz had a really nice week on the mound as well, uh, right behind Painter in the whip category. So now, over a half an hour into this episode, definitely the longest in IASSP history, it is time to award our Philly of the Week. So drum roll, please. Our Philly of the Week goes to our favorite MVP, Bryce Harper, and this sounds really anticlimactic, I do not like giving the Philly of the Week to Bryce Harper. Here's the thing, though. He won MLB Player of the Week. He, he faced adversity. He's been playing with the UCL tear in his right arm. He hasn't been able to throw, but oh my goodness, can he hit. 
this week. 603 average, three home runs, and a 1904 OPS. A thousand is elite. 1904 is just crazy. So this this total pole, this filler of the week, belongs to our good friend in MV3. And to conclude again, I kind of mentioned it last time that I didn't really do any live streams. I'm this is gonna come out on Monday. Tuesday the 17th, look out for one. I'll post something on social media. Just kind of saying that's my idea. Tuesday the 17th, that will be a 645 start against San Diego Padres. I'll try to make it out for that one. So, thank you all for watching. I know this was a little bit long. It went a bit crazy. That's what happens when you're winning. And also making terrible jokes. That's something that I do really well. Uh, thank you guys for watching. Make sure to follow and subscribe wherever you're listening. Uh, YouTube friends, hello. Uh, Spotify, stay true, Apple Podcasts, I, which I didn't actually really establish, they sort of found me, which is awesome. Uh, if you're somehow listening on Google, you're not, I need to fix Google Podcasts, I need to remember to do that. But thank you all so much for watching, and remember, even though Aaron all struggles, even though this offense is a bit one-dimensional, Always keep an open mind. We can win a series against the L against LA. Keep that in mind, because it's always sunny in South Philadelphia. I'll see you guys next week.